Let me ask you a question. What's the biggest mess you've ever made? Just think about that. For me, the, the story that came to mind almost immediately was when I was a kid. Uh, we were, I'm the oldest of uh, four boys. There are, I have three brothers, there are four of us total. And we grew up, grew up in Florida, and one night I remember our parents went out for the evening. Uh, we, were, we were old enough at that point to be left home alone, also it was the 90s, so... Uh, and we had, we had a massive water fight inside the house. Yeah, yeah. Some of you look horrified right now. Like, I, I, I don't remember, I don't exactly, it's, it's one of those things that if you saw people doing it outside, you might think, man, they're really going for it. But we did it inside. And I don't remember exactly how it started, but it probably started with one of us at the sink washing our hands or something like that. And you know how you sometimes you might flick, flick water on someone? It started small, but it escalated quickly. Because the two things, uh, three things, but two things that I remember very distinctly was us filling up pitchers of water and flinging them at each other. And at one point, I remember throwing a raw egg at, my, at one of my brothers. I don't remember if I connected. Yeah, that's right. That's right. It happened. And I, I tell you, the kids are all gone, right? It was super fun. Um, but when it was over, we stood there looking at what we had done and the realization sinking in that we had to clean this up before my parents got home. Now keep in mind, they weren't like gone for the weekend. They were coming back like in an hour. You know what I mean? They were like, they were just out, you know, for, for the evening. I don't know what we were thinking. And here's the, mo the most amazing part of the whole thing is we did actually get it cleaned up before they got home, which is incredible. Part of what helped us was growing up in Florida, a lot of the houses in Florida are, are, have, have a lot of tile, you know what I mean, and they're not, so it wasn't like there was, you know, standing water soaking into the carpet, kind of, but I think we used every towel that we owned. Um, you know, and, and, and we managed to get the mess cleaned up before they got home, and as far as I know, mom and dad never found out about it. Now, if they're listening to this recording, they know, you know, sorry, mom, it, it really happened. Um, but that, that, that was maybe the biggest mess that I, was, that I could remember that we were a part of making. But the, th you know, the thing about a mess, this is, you'll, you, you'll relate to this, is the longer that you leave a mess untended to, the worse it gets, right? Like you, maybe you've experienced this before where you cooked dinner one evening and you used, uh, maybe you cook like I cook and you use 40 pots to make, you know, whatever you're making. But, you know, you've got all these pots and then everyone eats and you've got all these dirty dishes, but it's late and you don't, it's like, I don't feel like doing the dishes. So you pile them up in the sink. You think, I'll just do them tomorrow. Not us in the Mendez house. Our house is always clean all the time, every minute. Um, uh, maybe, maybe you know something about this, but, but, you, but you, go, you go to bed and then you come back the next morning and you look at those dishes and those pots and pans piled in the sink. Is it better? No. Oftentimes it's worse, 
right? Because all the food has kind of dried on there and now you have to get like a, like a, like a jackhammer to get it off. Or, and if there's any kind of liquid stuff, that's gross. You know what I mean? It's like, it is just, it's awful. And you, you're, you're doing this, you're thinking, I should have done this last night. Shouldn't have let this sit. Because a mess, when you leave the mess unattended, it doesn't get better. Sometimes it gets messier, right? Yeah. We're talking about the life of Jacob. And we're finishing up our three-week look at Jacob's messy life. And the banner over this whole series has been the idea that life is messy, but God is faithful. And we've seen the faithfulness of God all throughout Jacob's life, haven't we? we last week we saw, we saw uh, Jacob leave his uncle Laban's house with his family and, and with, with, his, with his wives and, 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 and animals, livestock servants, all of that. We saw him, with Jacob wrestling with God and God giving him a new name. We saw Jacob make peace with his brother Esau and settle in the land. Um, so God has been faithful to Jacob and this morning, we are going to look at the latter end, the, the, the last third of Jacob's life, and we're going to see how Jacob's life, we're going to look at Jacob's life, but we're also going to look at how it intertwines with the life of one of Jacob's sons, Joseph. And so if you want to grab your Bibles and open up to Genesis chapter 37, that's where we're going to, we're going to spend a little bit of time there this morning as well as some other places. And so Genesis chapter 37, we're just, we're going to work through, we're going to work through this passage. Uh, Genesis 37 verse 1, Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. And then he goes on to talk about one of Jacob's sons, Joseph. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpha, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Not good. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. And so you can see we're, we're, we're off to a bad start. God has, has done a lot in Jacob's life, but, but even in these latter years, Jacob still has failed to deal with some of these cycles of dysfunction in his family, right? Because Jacob understood the sting of favoritism, didn't he? Jacob understood what it felt like to be second best. Jacob understood that what it felt like to know that no matter what I did, Esau was always going to be dad's favorite. And there was nothing I could do about it. He understood what that felt like. And yet, Jacob allowed this cycle of favoritism to continue in his family, first with his wives, you know, because he, you know, he, he, he was married to, to Leah, he was married to Rachel, eventually Zilpha and, uh, and, 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 and Bilhah. Um, but Rachel, Rachel was the wife that he loved, right? Leah was the one he was stuck with, right? He didn't, you know, he loved Rachel. 
And Joseph and Rachel couldn't have children until later on in life when she gave birth to Joseph and then later to Benjamin. But Joseph was Jacob's favorite, and that caused problems. Right? Let's keep reading, see what happens next. Now Joseph had a dream. Many of you are familiar with this story. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brother said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. And then he dreamed another dream. And he told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told, but when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him. Of course they were. But his father kept the saying in mind. These dreams are fascinating to me. Because obviously, if you're familiar with the Joseph story, you understand that these dreams really were prophetic, right? When we get to the end of Joseph's life, these things happen. Like these really, these point to real events that are coming. But the more I read the account and the more I think about the life of Joseph, the more I am convinced, man, that these dreams were God's mercy to Joseph. These dreams were a gift. These dreams were like God saying, listen, Joseph, it's going to go wrong for you pretty soon. And it's going to be difficult, and it's going to be dark for a long time. And so I'm going to give you a gift. I'm going to give you something to hold on to so that you don't lose hope during this long, dark, difficult journey that you're going on really soon. I'm just convinced these dreams, they're God's grace to Joseph. So what happens next is Jacob tells Joseph to go find his brothers. They're out in the field, they're, they're, they're pasturing the sheep, and Jacob says, Joseph, I want you to go check on your brothers, find out what's going on, come back, and let me know what's happening. Okay? So then we drop down in chapter 37 to verse 18. It says, They saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, Here comes this dreamer. Come now. Let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. And Reuben said to, him, said to them, Shed no blood. Throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hands to restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, that robe that they hated, that was a reminder of being second best. They stripped him of it. And they took him and threw him into a pit. And the pit was empty. There was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat. And looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. 
Then Judah said to his brother, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. Such kindness. So Judah has an idea. He says, hey, let's not kill our brother. Let's sell him because then we're rid of him, but we also make a little cash on the side. So Judah, he was apparently the entrepreneur of the group. And his brothers listened to him. Then the Midianite traders passed by and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. When When Reuben returned to the pit, And saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, The boy is gone, and where shall I go? Then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, This we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. The cycle of deception still, it just continues in this family, this this idea of deceit. Verse 33, then, and he identified it and said, it is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. And then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, no, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. What a tragic story. I mean, it's just awful. And I think what is worse about the story and what is challenging, I, to me anyway, but I think to all of us, is to realize that this dark turn of events can be traced all the way back to Jacob's favoritism. I mean, the brothers, of course, are responsible for their actions. But all of this stems from Jacob refusing to deal with his issues. And what is ironic about the whole thing is that Jacob's favoritism actually cost him his favorite son. Jacob's favoritism cost him Joseph. It cost him the one that he loved the most. And I think it points to an important truth for all of us that we need to hear, and it's this. Failure to address your mess today, it allows your mess to mess with your tomorrow. Failure to address your mess today, what it does is it allows your mess to mess with you tomorrow. And that's exactly what Jacob experienced. He allowed this cycle of dysfunction to continue. He refused to break the cycle, and it cost him, and it cost Joseph. But even in the middle of all of this mess, God is faithful. And Joseph finds himself in Egypt. He is in the house of Potiphar, the captain of the guard, but Joseph finds favor and success and eventually is promoted to in charge of the whole house. But then Jacob... But then Joseph is uh, falsely accused of sexual assault, and he's thrown into prison, and it's dark for him there, but God is faithful. Joseph finds success, and he eventually rises to being in charge of the whole prison. It's unbelievable. 
And one day, two new inmates show up into the prison. Pharaoh's cupbearer and Pharaoh's baker. And one night, these two guys have a dream. And Joseph knows something about dreams, and so they tell him the dreams. And Joseph is able to correctly interpret the dreams. He says to the cupbearer, hey, good news. You're going to be restored to your position. And to the baker, bad news. You're going to be executed. And sadly, that's exactly what happened. The baker was executed. The cupbearer was restored to his position. And then a few years later, Pharaoh has a dream. And the cupbearer remembers Joseph. Hey, there's a guy in the prison who knows something about dreams. And Pharaoh says, get him. Get him here. And Joseph comes before the Pharaoh. And Joseph is able to correctly interpret Pharaoh's dreams. And he tells him, Pharaoh, listen, here's what's going on here. Listen, you had this one dream, and this dream means that there's going to be seven years of incredible abundance. Crops are going to grow like nobody's business. We're going to have, uh, you know, grain coming out of our ears. And so it's going to be amazing. And then it's going to be followed by seven years of devastating famine. But Joseph not only interprets the dream for Pharaoh, he, act, he gives Pharaoh great advice. He says, so this is what you should do. During the seven years of plenty, you should prepare for the famine. You should store up all that grain, collect it so that during the famine, nobody has to go hungry. You should find somebody who knows what they're talking about and put them over this whole effort to, 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 to save Egypt. And Pharaoh says, that's a great idea. And Joseph, you're the guy. And in an instant, Joseph goes from being a prisoner in Pharaoh's dungeon to being the prime minister of Egypt. No one in the land is more powerful than Joseph other than the Pharaoh. And we see God at work in Joseph. And Joseph, he gets to work. And sure enough, everything he said happens the way he said it. There's seven years of incredible abundance. And during that time, Joseph organizes a nationwide effort to save food. And they, they, they take a fifth of the grain and they build these barns and they store them up in it. And they've got food for days. And sure enough, just as Joseph predicted, there is a devastating famine, and there's no food anywhere. But Egypt is prepared. And so they throw open the doors, and the people can come and buy grain. But the, but the famine did not just affect Egypt. The famine went all the way to Canaan, where Jacob and his family was. And Jacob heard that there was food in Egypt. So he says to his boys, get up, go to Egypt, buy some food so that, so, that, so that we don't starve. And that's what they do. They get up and they head to Egypt. And as soon as they get there, who recognizes them? Joseph. But they don't recognize him. And in what can only be described as a soap opera-like chain of events, if you've read the story, uh, you know what I'm talking about. If not, you should go back and read it. It's fascinating. Joseph begins messing with his brothers, but I think that Joseph is testing his brothers. Joseph wants to know, are these the same monsters who years ago sold me into slavery, or have they changed? And over time, Joseph becomes convinced that they have. 
The, the, the brothers are willing to, to sacrifice even their own lives to save their youngest brother, Benjamin, Joseph's, Joseph's brother by Rachel. And Joseph, convinced that, the, that, that, that there has been some progress here, Joseph reveals his identity to his brothers. And they are terrified. <laughs> you would be too. <laughs> you know, it is, you know, it's not good, but Joseph comforts them. and He says, listen, I'm not, I'm not here to get revenge. In fact... I want to help. Go home, get my father, get everybody in the family, and bring them to Egypt so that you can escape the famine and the family can survive. I will take care of the family. And that's what they do. They go and get Jacob, and he comes, and Jacob is reunited with his son Joseph. And it is, and it is emotional, and it is raw and it is powerful. And they, they, after all these years, Jacob and Joseph are reunited. And Jacob's family is saved. And Jacob will live the rest of his life in Egypt safe. And his family will grow. And he, Jacob actually, he has the opportunity before he dies to bless all of his sons. And it's a fascinating read in Genesis 49. You should go read it. Um, you should read the different blessings that he pronounces on his son and how the covenant promise that was given to Abraham that, is, you know, that normally goes to the firstborn actually goes to the fourth. And there are some interesting reasons why all that happens. You should check it out. Um, but Jacob has the opportunity to bless his children. And then he dies. And so let's read about the last moments of Jacob. If you'll flip over to Genesis 49. Verse 29, then he commanded them and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephraim the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah to the east of Mamre in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephraim the Hittite to possess as a burying place. So bury me where my family is buried. Uh, verse 31, there they buried Abraham and Sarah, his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah, his wife. And there I buried Leah, the field in the cave that is in it where were bought, excuse me, were bought from the Hittites. Verse 33, and when Jacob, when Jacob finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into his bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. And that ends the messy life of Jacob. And I think at this point, it's important to reflect back on Jacob's life because when we look at Jacob's life, we see that, yeah, life really is messy, but God really is faithful. God was faithful to Jacob. God blessed him. God was with him. God reunited him with his son Joseph, and God rescued Jacob's entire family from this famine. Life is messy, but God is faithful. And God was faithful to Joseph. God was faithful to redeem Joseph's pain, to take all that he had gone through and redeem it for good. God reunited Joseph with his father and his family. And God used Joseph to rescue his entire family. 
Life is messy, but God really is faithful. And God is faithful to the whole world because in the story of Jacob, and especially in in, in what we read today, we see the faithfulness of God to the world because the promise that God made to Abraham, that went to Isaac, that went to Jacob, that went to Judah and onward through, through Jacob's family was that God would bless the whole world through this family. And they didn't, understood, they didn't understand what that meant at the time. But this would be the family that Jesus would come from. This, this family would allow Jesus to be brought onto the scene. And so it's, it's, it's like God looked at the mess of humanity and he decided to wade into our mess. And he sent his son Jesus, who came to earth, who lived a perfect life, who showed us what God was like, and who gave his life on a cross so that we could be forgiven of our sins. But it doesn't end there because Jesus rose from the dead. God has been faithful to the whole world. Anyone who puts their trust in Jesus can be forgiven of their sins and granted new life and adopted into God's family. It's good news. Life is messy, but God is faithful. And God will be faithful to you. I think if the story of Jacob teaches us anything, It's that God is at work in the mess of our lives. And God will be faithful to work in the mess of your life. When you think about what you're walking through, when you think about what you're currently facing, the story of Jacob reminds us that God will be faithful to be at work even in the mess of our own lives. But the story doesn't end there. Because when Jacob died, his sons got scared. Yeah. When when Jacob died, his sons, they got scared. They thought, oh no, maybe Joseph was being kind to us because our father was around. But now that dad is gone, it might be that he decides to get, finally get his revenge on us. And so let's, let's, let's finish this out. Let's turn over to Genesis chapter 50. And let's look at verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, "Uh, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now, please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Maybe Joseph wept because all of this brought back the pain of what he had gone through so many years ago. Maybe Joseph wept because he missed his father and all of this triggered, you know, some of that. Uh, maybe, maybe Joseph wept because he was hurt that his brother still didn't trust him. That even after all this, they still thought that maybe he was out to get him. We don't know what what made Joseph weep here, but clearly this was an emotional moment for Joseph. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, listen to this, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me. Let's not pretend. 
But God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. And thus, he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. If anyone had cause for revenge, it was Joseph, right? If anybody had good reason to keep the cycle of favoritism going, it was Joseph. And he could have done it, right? He could have said, hey, okay, Benjamin, Benjamin gets the best house, he gets the best stuff, you guys, I got some studio apartments over, I don't know where you're going to live, I don't know how that's going to go, but you know, if anybody could have kept it going, it could have been Joseph. If anybody had reason to keep it going, it was Joseph, and yet, Joseph chooses, finally someone chooses to break the cycle of dysfunction, and Joseph does it. And I think the only reason that Joseph was able to do it was because of something that he said. J Joseph recognized an important truth. He said, listen, you meant this for evil against me, but God meant it for good. In other words, Joseph recognized God's providence and God's sovereignty in his life and over the events of his life. God was at work in all of this for good. It was difficult. It was hard. I wouldn't wish it on anybody, but God sent me to Egypt so that, so that our whole family could be rescued. And Joseph didn't understand this, as, you know, this part, but, but God also sent him to Egypt to rescue the world so that the family that would bring the Messiah onto the scene would be preserved. And because Joseph recognized and embraced the sovereignty of God in his life. He was able to forgive. He was able to break the cycle. So what do we do with this? What do we do with this story of, of just incredible messiness? Well, I think I want to suggest two things. Maybe as you hear this story this morning, maybe you find your story closely aligns with Jacob. You'd never want to admit this out loud, but maybe there are some issues in your life that need to be dealt with. There is some mess in your life that needs to be tended to. And for whatever reason, you've chosen not to deal with it. You've chosen to push it to the side. Could I just gently challenge you to address your mess? They, listen, they don't clean themselves. And they don't get better over time. They just get messier. And failure to address your mess today, it allows your mess to mess with you tomorrow. So don't do it. It's not worth it. For some of you, that means you need to have a difficult conversation. For some of you, you need to make an apology. For some of you, you need to admit something to someone else. I don't know what your deal is. But I would just challenge you. The longer you wait, the more messy it will become. So deal with it now. Maybe you're here this morning and you feel like your story more closely resonates with Joseph. Maybe you're in the middle of something that is dark and difficult and seems like it's going on forever and you don't know what to do. 
Would you be willing to begin the process of seeing your life and seeing the circumstances of your life through the lens of God's providence and God's sovereignty? Could it be that God is at work in you for good? I think the answer is yes. And to, to the extent that we can begin to reframe our circumstances and to see what we're walking through through the lens of God's sovereignty, God's providence, to that degree, that allows us to move forward and to make progress and to walk through these things. And so I don't know where that lands with you this morning, but I think for all of us, there is we can walk away from the story of Jacob confident that even though life is messy, it really is, God is genuinely faithful, and God will continue to be faithful. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your love toward us. And Thank you for the story of Jacob and the story of Joseph, which we talked about this morning, and, and, and how we see your faithfulness in the middle of the mess. Would you give each one of us the wisdom to know what to do with what we've heard this morning, and would you give us the courage to do it? Thank you, Jesus. We love you. It's in your name we pray.